If you have your Bible, will you turn with me please to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. There's a short reading of three verses. Verses 24 to 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 26. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. God always blesses the reading of his sacred and most holy word. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we still our hearts and know that you are God. We exalt and lift up your name, the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For we love him because he first loved us. Lord, I ask you that you would anoint me afresh by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would hide me behind your cross. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here who is discouraged, that they would leave encouraged. For those who have drifted away, that will come back to you. And for those who do not yet know you, that they will receive you as their Lord and Saviour this morning. And we lift up your name. Bless every preacher this morning who's preaching your word faithfully. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now before I begin uh, expanding on these three verses, I just want to set the context of this letter. Um, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church, the church at Corinth sorry, uh, in around AD 56. Now Corinth in those days was a city in darkness of sin just one way to put it there was all sorts happening it was a philosophical city but yet when you made an accusation of the man the lowest form in that day was to simply call him a Corinth so that shows you where Paul was Paul was writing to it shows you where the church is and in this letter he deals with all sorts of issues you name it he dealt with it in this letter on morality and all sorts in church governance but now he's moved on to this. He deals with the issue of striving or running for a crime. In verse 24, the Apostle Paul is drawing an illustration that would have been familiar to the people of Corinth. In Paul's day, the Isthmian Games was held at Corinth. Meyer in his New Testament commentary says, Doubtlessly Paul, writing to the Corinthians, was thinking of the Isthmian Games, which was continued to be held even after the destruction of the city by Mumus. Now, for those of you who are not, maybe you're not aware of it, uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica notes that the Isthmian was an ancient, ancient Greek festival of athleticism and musical competitions in honour of the sea god Poseidon. And it was held in the second and fourth years of each Olympiad at, the, at his sanctuary on the Isthmus of Corinth. And the prize given was a, a, wild, a dry wild celery crown, which was changed to a wreath in Roman times. And then this festival began to die out when Christianity became dominant in the 4th century. Pastor Warren Wearsby of the Moody Bible Church notes that Paul's fondness of athletic images and used them often in his letters. We are all running a race, all of us. All of us are running, yearning, hoping, striving to get something. What is it are you running for? What is it that you're yearning for? 
Is it something temporary of this world? Or is there something inside you this morning yearning for something more that nothing in this world can truly satisfy? C.S. Lewis writes this in Mere Christianity. If I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You were born for a purpose. As more than just living a nine to five job and going through the rat race of life, you were born to have a relationship with the Creator God, who we have the privilege of calling Father. Just think about that. The God who created the heavens and the earth, the stars, everything you see and feel around you, you can call Him Father. Now, I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your earthly father. It might have been a hard one, it might have been a good one. Your heavenly father loves you, and he's only a prayer away. The Apostle Paul says, run in such a way to obtain it. Now, anyone of any sport and discipline will tell you the importance of training and discipline itself. Wearsby again writes, discipline means giving up the good and the better for the best. And as followers of Jesus Christ this morning, we are called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, body. We're called to serve him, to serve his people, to love one another, which is difficult at times, to forgive one another, which is difficult at times, but we need to. We need to love as he loved us. We need to forgive as he forgiven us. And we are also called to bear with one another's burdens. We are called to meet regularly to attend church services, to lead by example in home devotions as preparation for our race that is continual till he comes or calls. As I was preparing this message, I'm reminded of my grandfather, my Granda Crossan's cousin, Bertie Crossan, who ran for the Dunkirk Nomads. He took part in the Helsinki Olympic Games in 1956. He was also a, a runner in the marathon. His best, uh, his best time was 2 hours and 33 minutes. Now, some of his sporting genes, not all, were passed on to my dad, who, as a fun runner, who ran many, many marathons, uh, had the best time of almost an hour longer. Uh, but now, in recent years, my father, with aging and creaking knees, for the last decade or so, has done the marathon walk. I have a funny feeling I need to run after the service after saying that. Um, <laughs> as a means of raising funds for his boys brigade company I'm just looking at him no I don't need to run that's good so he told me of this about marathon training <clears throat> an athlete preparing for a marathon say London for example which is held in April each year will start their training in October or November and will continue through the long winter months he or she will run up to 70 up to 100 miles per week running on different uh, conditions, um, flat roads, hills, grass, etc., in all weathers, and remembering to take one day for a break to rest. The athlete then later tapers down their training in the two weeks before the event. Also, the athlete must adapt their lifestyle in regards to diet, sleep, etc. Now, in verse 22, the athletes on Paul's day, they trained, and they knew the difference about lifestyle, the food, and the discipline. In verse 25, it says, And everyone who competes for the price is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Now what does Paul mean? The prize in those days was a crown being secret to Poseidon, and in Roman times was a pine, uh, pine wreath. In our modern day, it would be 
for a gold or a silver or a bronze medal or for the fun runner a personal best time to go along with their completion medal. But when you think about it, even these things and prizes can be of little worth and they perish too. Andy Warhol famously said, everybody is searching for their 15 minutes of fame. But by the grace of God, life is longer than 15 minutes. Eric Liddell, or Little, sorry, an Olympic gold medalist and missionary, said this, many of us are missing something in life because we are after the second best. Where is your eyes focused this morning in this race of life? Is it on the temporary things or is it on the things of God? Because the things of this world, they may look beautiful and temporary, but they can never truly satisfy you. All of us at some point have looked at the things of the world and find some satisfaction, but it might fade. But if you look to Christ, he will never disappoint. End of discussion. It's not even up for discussion. For he is the source of all things. He is the source of joy and fulfillment and of real love. And if you want to know what real and unfeeling love looks like, look to the work of the cross. Look to the empty tomb. There is real love and everlasting love. You cannot earn it. You might be a good man, a good woman, a good family person. It means nothing. You're saved by faith alone, not by your works. It's by what he has done, not what you have done in this race. Now, some of you might be reading from the King James Version of the Bible, and it reads this. And every man striveth for the mastery and temporary, temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Now that word corruptible is the same Greek word for perishing. And as I study this in the original Greek language, I came across various cross-references in the scriptures. And if you permit me, I would like to share and read them. So my first one I found was in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. The Apostle, Paul, Apostle Peter sorry, writing to the church. Knowing that you were redeemed not with corruptible things such as or like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. And we sung that this morning about Christ alone. We are redeemed by his precious blood. As a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you through him who believed in God, believed in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but an incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flowers fade away, falls away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. And this is the word by the gospel is preached to you listening this morning. We have a prize which is incorruptible. That never perishes. This is what we strive towards for this crime. Now... This crown in the, in the Greek language is used in various places, places in the New Testament. And I would like to draw your attention to three of them, if I may. The first one is written in the epistle of James, our Lord's half-brother. He says in verse 12 of chapter 1, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those 
who love him. Permit me to ask this this morning. Do you love him this morning? Do you love him this morning? Only you can answer it. I can't answer it for you. You can fool your pastor. You can fool a preacher. You can fool your family. But do you truly love him? Because you know why I love him? Because he first loved me. He saw me in my wretched sinful state and he loved me. Jesus Christ saw the very worst things you've ever done. Nevertheless, he is the one that loves you the most. A godly man by A.W. Tozer said it and it's true. He loves you first. And if you want to come to him, his arms are open. It doesn't matter what you have done. There is mercy and forgiveness in him and in him alone. Secondly, Jesus is speaking to the faithful church at Philadelphia in Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Behold, I am coming quickly. And good news, the king is coming soon. We don't know when, but he's coming soon. Hold fast what you have, but no one may take your crown. Is there someone here? You just want to give up the race. I've had enough. We've all had times like that. Hold fast. Stand firm. Yes, we'll go through trials. Yes, we'll go through difficulties. But he will hold you fast. And as I was reading these verse, this verse in Revelation 3, two verses of a hymn came to my mind. It is sung on the Facing a Task Unfinished album by Keith and Kirsten Yeti. It says this, When I fear my faithful fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight. He will hold me fast. He will not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. This morning come to him and he will hold you fast. Throughout all the, the trials and joys of life. He will hold you fast. He will hold you fast going through the treatment rooms. He will hold you fast as you wait patiently on those test results. He will hold you fast as you worry about your children and your grandchildren. He will hold you fast. That is the God I serve. That is the God I worship. And more importantly, that's the God whom I love with all my heart. And I boldly proclaim his word to the day I die or to the day he comes. Thirdly and finally... The Apostle Peter writes to the church and when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. That's beautiful. It doesn't fade away. I've been to London. I've went to the Tower of London. I've seen the crown jewels and they're beautiful and they're elegant. But see the crown he will give. It'll be more elegant than any crown ever seen or designed in history. With the greatest reverence to her majesty's crown it's not even going to surpass the beauty of the crown that he will give to us when he comes or calls us home. What a day that will be when we all get to heaven. What a joy that will be when we all see Jesus. What a day. What a day. In verse 26, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, don't you feel at times in life you're just fighting the air? Everything seems to be against you. Well, we fight not as one beating the air. We're, we're fighting with, the, with a purpose. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. Keep fighting. 
you may have been struck out and you want to tap out do not tap out of that fight get up if you get knocked down you get back up again a very wise pastor once said this to me failure is not falling down failure is not getting back up after the fall is there someone here and you think you failed guess what you can come back up God will clean you up and set you back on track earlier he says I run thus therefore after saying all these things I run thus not with uncertainty and we live in the day of uncertainty just turn on the news everyone's afraid the uncertainty of Brexit the uncertainty of this political leader and that political leader the economy and all sorts we live in uncertainty and fearful times and yes in this world we will have trouble but be of good cheer he has overcome the world he has our peace in the midst of the trouble in the midst of uncertainties of life this one thing I'm certain that he is on the throne he is in charge and all nations will look upon him upon whom he have pierced one day keep going keep running I don't know what 2018 brought with you this year I know it may have been a season of joy and of trials keep running don't give up there is hope there is no such thing as a hopeless situation therefore after saying this I run now as I was studying this and reading various commentaries and reading various opinions I went to the Greek and I saw the word run was the same Greek word used in the story of the prodigal son and as I stand in this church I remember when I preached my first sermon here at 19 I preached on the prodigal son and I'm so thankful that the pulpit hit my legs because my knees were knocking um, they're not knocking now thankfully that's the confidence of God in me if I didn't have the confidence of God my knees would be shaking like Elvis Presley um, and uh, it's in Luke 15 I'm going to read a few verses of this for time and when he arose after he came to his senses is there somebody here and you need to come to your senses you realise the life you're living or is there someone here living a two-plicit life you're raising your hands one minute worship and then sin the next, <coughs> next minute and when he arose and came to his father but when he saw that he was still a great way off his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and the son said to him father I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and no longer worthy to be called your son sadly that's what people think we should come to God I'm no longer worthy to be a child of God listen he saw the very worst of you nevertheless this is what the father does to us this is what the father did to the son he said but the father said to his servants bring out the best robe and put it on him put on a ring on his hand and sandals on the feet the father restored his son despite all that he did when you come to Christ you don't clean yourself up I've heard of a believer saying oh I need to clean myself up before I come to Christ no no he cleans you that step of coming to him and repenting is an about turn it means turn away from your sin and walking before him and God will help you and help you with those things that you struggle those sins those weights he cleans you is there a prodigal son or a daughter here this morning and in the store the older brother there's always older brothers in the churches there's always older brothers doing the devil's work reminding the person of their past and he tells the father of all the sins he did 
But the father said this, it is right, it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again. See, when the son said to the father, give me your inheritance, dad, you're dead to me. That's what he just said to this father. See that money you promised me after you die? I want it now. Imagine that. And yet that's what we treat God sometimes, don't we? You're dead to me. <laughs> well, guess what? You can be alive again through his son, Jesus Christ, this morning. And was lost and is found. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That is the testimony of every child of God in that hymn, isn't it? That was his grace, his love. Come to Christ this morning. Receive him as your personal saviour. In him there is new life. And for the believers this morning, for those who run faithfully for many years, the, the second place I'd like to draw your attention to is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, or the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now I'm reading from the New King James translation, but I've also read this in various other translations, so sometimes I would switch to the NIV, the KGV, and the New King James Version, so my apologies if I mess up a word or two. It's just how I was memorizing scripture years ago. So again, the writer says this word, therefore, referring to the previous chapter. In chapter 11, we have faith's great hall of, of, of fame. Stories such as Abraham and Moses, and some of those stories, they really messed up, didn't they? They're just like us. They're human. We, we imagine them as superheroes, but they've messed up. And guess what? God was able to redeem that mess and turn their mess into a message for us. Warren Rearsby again writes that the Christian does not run the race in order to get to heaven. He is in the race because he has been saved through faith. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesians, By grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And we've just celebrated the Christmas season. We've been given gifts, some wonderful gifts, some odd gifts like I got on Christmas. I won't go and tell you what I got. And some gifts and you're just thinking, why? But this gift is given to us freely. It is the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, we are called to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and sin does easily ensnare us and let us run with endurance that the race that is set before us so what is the weight and the sin that so easily ensnares you in the last Sunday of 2018 will you come to the Saviour and just ask him to help you lay aside those sins and those weights that so easily ensnare you it doesn't matter how you start the race it's how you finish that counts permit me to draw your attention to an Old Testament example 
of a man who started the race of faith later in life by the name of Enoch. In Genesis chapter 5, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And after he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God at 65 years of age. 300 years and had sons and daughters, so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not for, for God took him. Notice in Genesis 5.21, after he became a father, after a light change in the fence, he began to walk faithfully with God at 65. What's stopping you from following him this morning? The author of Hebrews chapter 11 notes about Enoch. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For he had taken, he had this testimony that pleased God. And later it says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This Christmas in my family marked nine years since my grandfather got saved at the young age of 74. And he is a trophy of grace, a life transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how young or how old you are, come to Christ and he will give you a new start. And it's never too late to run the race that is set before us. And first to looking onto Jesus, the author and the finisher of the faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, one thing that gets to me in this verse is the joy set before him. Where was the joy in the crucifixion? Like he suffered. He was in the garden saying, my God, where are you? Sweating drops of blood. He was betrayed. He was mocked. He was beaten, rejected, and scourged. And he was given a crown of thorns. And it's the same Greek word used for our imperishable crown as the crown that was placed on our Lord's head. Matthew twenty seven twenty nine. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Lacey Sturm in a worship song called Mercy Tree wrote this. And it's one of my favourite songs recently. In the spot between two thieves hung the blameless Prince of Peace, beaten, battered, scarred and scorned, sacred head pierced by our thorns. It is finished, was his cry. The perfect lamb was crucified. His sacrifice, our victory, our saviour chose the mercy tree. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. That's what our Lord declared. That is what is in this holy book. His will. He chose the cross. The soldiers mocked the victor's crown. Unknowing to some of the soldiers, it was a crown of true victory. For one centurion declared this, truly this was the Son of God. And I pray that there's someone here that will realise this with all their heart, that this is the Son of God. Eric Liddell wrote this after the victory after winning a, a gold medal he said this it has been wonderful experience to complete in the Olympic Games or to compete sorry in the Olympic Games and to bring home a gold medal but since I have been a young lad I have had my eyes on a different prize you see each, of, each one of us is in a greater race than any I have run in Paris 
and this race ends when God gives out the medals. Let me ask you a question. When someone gives you a prize, they either say, they say, well done, congratulations. God gives out his prizes, but he will say this. What will Christ say to you when the prizes are given? There's only two things God will say to you. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Or two, depart from me, you curse it. I never knew you. Oh, but I was a good person. I looked after my family. I took my kids to church. I made sure they said their prayers. I did this, I did that. Means nothing. God wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you. You cannot earn your way into heaven. You cannot buy your way into heaven. It is through faith and through faith alone. What will he say to you? I want you to truly examine your heart. On this last Sunday of 2018, what will God say to you? What will he say to you? C.T. Studd, the cricketer and famous missionary, said this in a poem. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So what about us listening this morning to this message? Who are running the race. There may be those who have not yet started in the race of faith. Why not start it now? Come to him this morning. Have you been running for many years and becoming stale, tired, cold and indifferent? Ask God to reset your lukewarm heart ablaze of fire fresh. Are you feeling worn out, burnt out, feeling lost and alone? Since this is the Welcome Evangelical Church, I better quote Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael, in a devotional book entitled Whispers of His Power, and I believe it was republished in 1982 by the Dunfar Fellowship, saying the following, and it's beautiful. I, I just love reading this. I kept rereading it. It was just so beautiful. There are many promises that we can bring here. Here is one. It is written in a letter to the people who were running in an obstacle race, and the obstacles were simple obstacles were simply tremendous. The author wrote about being prepared for the race, and we've heard about being prepared for the race. The author wrote about running with patience. We've heard about that this morning. But he wanted to give them a strong word of comfort too. So he wrote, God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so you may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. For those who have a challenging year in 2018, God has been and will continue to be faithful. So whatever concerns or worries you for the incoming year of 2019, take them to him and remember and truly know this, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. With this confidence and surety, in the name of Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, keep on running.